Welcome to Housing Developments. My name is Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Jim, it's uh, great to be back with you. Normally at this time, you and I'd be unpacking our suitcases, exhausted after uh, going to the two conventions. Uh, it was a little um, less taxing on, on our <laughs> bodies, particularly probably our livers, by uh, having them be at home and we could watch them safely ensconced on our sofas. Um, what did you think of, uh, of the televised format of the National Party conventions? You know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I, in general, I thought they both went off without a hitch. Uh, I thought they were, uh, obviously they're tighter. Uh, it's, it's easier to be when it's overly produced uh, as they are rather than just live events. Uh, you miss the juice of the crowd, the balloon drop, looking out over the audience with the, the, the state signs and things like that. Um, I, but I thought it was, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, I thought um, you know, Biden and, and the Kamala Harris ticket did, did very well uh, with their themes and what they're trying to push the American public. I thought Trump did equally as well. There was a lot of hype uh, ahead of Trump. Oh, how are they going to compete with what the Democrats did? It was a flawless convention. And I think Trump and his team, they did a great, great job, uh, you know, in, in, including the fireworks display from the National Mall, which I thought was pretty darn spectacular. <laughs> spectacular. I thought both of them did, did did as well as you could in this environment. Not the same as being live, but you know what? Uh, it's nothing's been the same for the last six months. Let's focus for a minute on the messages that were that were trying to be put out there. Um, starting with the Democrats, Jim, talk to me a little bit about what you saw as their policy positions as they began to uh, be formulated uh, as as part of the convention process. Well, it's 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 all about it's all about moving the party to the left. Uh, th this is not Joe Biden's Democratic Party for the last 47 years that he's been in, in, in public office. Uh, he they made no bones about Bernie Sanders and his team working closely with the Biden team to draft the party platform uh, and and move it and move it decidedly to the left. Whether it's climate change, whether it's a, a tax policy, uh, heck, even housing policy. It, it, there are. The, the party is moving to the left uh, and, and Joe Biden, uh, need, you know, he's got to recognize that. I think it's going to be hard for him to govern that far to the left. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, if you're trying, if you're trying to, to bring the left flank of the party to Joe Biden, again, a, a centrist, the, the pick of Kamala Harris uh, is trying to do that. Uh, a female African-American, Indian-American, uh, you know, really trying to show the diversity that the Democrats perceive in their party uh, and, and, and bringing her liberal record from California. She, they don't need her for electoral votes, certainly, uh, because California has been blue as long as I can remember, I guess, since Reagan's days. Um, so, so, so they needed her to, to, to bring some youth and, uh, and some balance to the ticket. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I sense the sort of the same thing, the, the, the policy platforms that are being put out there, uh, how uh, openly, um, they discussed Bernie Sanders' role uh, in the economic policies and the environmental policies, how they talked about Elizabeth Warren uh, and potentially her role in the cabinet, uh, even maybe as Treasury Secretary. Uh, clearly, clearly, uh, the American voters will have a choice of uh, the, the left and the right in this election. There doesn't seem to be much effort uh, to go for uh, the suburban, what they used to call the suburban soccer moms vote, which was a sort of a, a undecided, unparty registered block of voters who 
tend to vote down the middle. Um, this seems to be the Democrats are going hard left. The Republicans are maintaining their right course. And uh, we'll see who wins in the end. That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just it's, it's bare knuckles here all the way out. And the Republican convention, you talked about it, the, uh, the fireworks on the last night. If nothing else, the president will always have uh, the ability to have hanging in his house uh, a picture of fireworks over the Washington <laughs> Monument saying Trump 2020. Yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't believe it when I saw I, Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I was laughing out loud at, boy, that, that takes some, uh, some, some guts. I got to tell you, it was, it was highly entertaining at the end there. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about the Republicans and what their policy positions seem to be and what they seem to be making into the major issues for the election. Uh, the nominees being a foregone conclusion, it was much more focused on um, the message that the Republicans wanted to get out. Uh, I'm sure you and I see it the same, but what, do you, what is your take on the message? Yeah, the message was, uh, please discount the last nine months. It, it wasn't our fault. Uh, you know, slow down an economy that, that, he, that, that Trump is taking credit for for the first three years. Hard to argue against it. Uh, that he hasn't had a, a big hand in, in seeing a huge run up in the stock market. Obviously, the housing market uh, has, has seen uh, has seen much of the same uh, great results. Uh, but the coronavirus is, is is slammed the brakes on that. And he's trying to not to tell people to forget the virus, but but to to, to remember that if, if they give him four more years, once we get past the virus, they can they can look forward to to more. He promised to cut more taxes, as he already did in 2017, as opposed to Biden, who's, who promised to raise taxes. Uh, and, and I think the, the other theme, and I think is very interesting, and Jerry, I'd, I'd like your take on it, was at least the first three nights before the president's speech on Thursday night was, I, I thought the line was, hey, you may not like the president, and yeah, he can be a jerk sometimes, and no, we don't like when he tweets, but he's really a good guy behind the scenes and he believes uh, what he believes and he does what he believes and he's a man of his word and, and promises kept. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy of, you know, yeah, he's kind of a jerk, but, but, but he's really a good guy if, if you really get a chance to know him. Yeah, I actually heard people talk about, you know, you vote the policies, not the personality. Uh, he's an acerbic guy. Um, he is supremely confident in his decision-making abilities. But, for, but, but don't look at all of that. Look at the outcome of the decisions he makes. But I think the one point that, that you didn't raise that really overwhelmed me was uh, this is a throwback to the 1968 uh, Richard Nixon election uh, in terms of its emphasis on law and order versus violence in the streets. In, in, the, in the 60s, it was the anti-Vietnam War movement uh, that started as peaceful protests and devolved into violence. Uh, and, and this year, it's the social justice movement. But I thought there was a very heavy emphasis on, on, on the Republicans' completely different view on the protests and the violence uh, than what the Democrats portrayed. Um, in fact, the Democrats uh, have been accused of not even discussing the issue at that convention. And I thought the Republicans really tried to draw a line in the sand there. So I, I guess we could conclude that the, uh, the, the campaign will be this. Joe Biden's a good guy. Um, he's got great experience. He knows how to compromise and work across party lines. And Kamala Harris represents the future. And we're going to have a left-leaning, uh, much more 
uh, socialist-driven uh, economic policy versus the president's not a nice guy, but he makes great decisions and he's going to make sure the cities are safe. And oh, by the way, neither party gets blamed for COVID-19. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a great sum up. You know, there's one you know one one point. Uh, I'd be curious. You know, going back to the Democratic uh, convention a little bit, was were two points. One that they're trying to pin COVID on Trump, which you and I have you, you know you and I have been doing some some focus groups on on housing over the last several months. But 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 talking to people who do this for a living, especially uh, in swing voters. Uh, and, and Trump gets, he does not get any blame for the coronavirus, right? He, he, and so I think it's interesting that the Democrats are going to try to hang that around his neck when everything that you and I've seen uh, points, uh, points to that, that, that they're willing to give the president a pass, maybe not on the response, but certainly on, on the cause and the fact that, that, that it's hit the country. And the second one, and this I thought really, really interesting, was that they brought up, the Democrats, they, they, they brought up the point about Joe Biden is a, is a stutterer when he's a kid. And they had a, they had a, a young man from, from New Hampshire who was a stutterer and Joe Biden, you know, encouraged him to, you know, work to get over uh, stuttering and, and give him some confidence. But I thought that was a really strange thing to bring up, especially for a guy who's been in, in politics for 47 years. It's not a, not a well-known fact, but it's, but it's not a secret. I believe that they must have some polling that that shows that there is real concern uh, in these focus groups and in the electorate about Joe Biden's capacity. And you've seen Trump hammer him as slow Joe and things like that. But I just wonder if they don't see some vulnerability for their candidate, and they're basically using this using stuttering as a reason for some of his gaffes on the campaign trail, uh, and and say, okay, fine, if you want to accuse him of being a stutterer, then you can you can you can look mean. Um, but I, I thought it was a really interesting thing to bring up uh, in, the, in the midst of the campaign. Oh, that's a really good point. I, I, you, you, slow Joe, Sleepy Joe. The one I heard this week was Hayden Biden. Oh, that's and, a good one. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think that, that Vice President Biden is going to be Hayden Biden any longer. Right. Um, and the reason for that is, and you touched on this a little bit, the polls, neither, neither Biden after the Democratic convention uh, nor the president after uh, the Republican convention got major bumps, which is generally the way it works, right? The, right? Whoever goes first gets a big bump. And then after the second convention, the other candidate generally tightens the, uh, tightens the race a little bit. Neither one of them got a big bump. However, in the swing states, the polling has changed so much um, that uh, it, it is actually a much, much closer race than yeah. anyone thought. And the Democrats are now going to have to be much more aggressive. Uh, the Democrats were using the strategy, I think, that this president is so unpopular that if we sit here and do nothing, we'll get into the White House. That was a strategy that I remember a few years ago, some friends of mine advised uh, Republican Senator uh, George Allen of Virginia uh, to use. Uh, Senator uh, Allen uh, chose not to listen to their advice, went on the campaign trail aggressively, yeah. made some gaffes, and was defeated. Um, I think this is sort of a converse of that, where the Democrats were trying this sort of rope-a-dope strategy. I'm not going to be offensive. I'm just going to sit here and let it come to me. Um, uh, and now, particularly because of the violence in the streets, uh, that hasn't uh, 
serve them well, I think you're going to start seeing him out on the campaign trail a great deal more. And despite Speaker Pelosi's admonitions that he should not mm. debate the president, I think you're going to see uh, the debates happen. And I think that they're going to carry perhaps more weight than they ever have before. I agree. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I you know we, we've talked to the the, the Trump campaign and, and they were, their candidate is best on the road in front of large crowds in front of the camera. And he has been hamstrung from being able to do that for the last several months. They, and they really look at the debates as a chance for him to open the door directly to the American people uh, and make his case. So I, I agree with you. It's uh, the debates are going to have an outsized importance. I think this year. It's going to be fun to watch for the next couple of months. Yeah, um, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, and I got to tell you, I, I spent some time this morning looking at some polls, uh, particularly in the Senate races. And wow, is it going to be close? Yeah. It's, it's unreal. If you would have asked me a couple weeks ago, I probably would have said that the, the Democrats are definitely going to take back the Senate. But a lot of those races have really tightened up. Steve Daines in Montana, Joni Ernst in Iowa have really come and made it close. There was some concern about Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. I now understand he's about nine points up. However, Sue Collins in Maine is trailing uh, by almost five points, certainly uh, beyond the margin of error. Tillis in North Carolina is trailing and the Democrats have some momentum going in there. Um, right now, there are 10 states that are considered to be in play uh, with the Republicans holding a very slim uh, two seat lead in the race. Man, is it gonna be tight going down the, to the finish wire. It's gonna be a long night on election night, my it's, friend. It's gonna be a long, long night. You're, at, you're absolutely right. And uh, it's, uh, boy, it, it is gonna be interesting. Yeah, th those, those Montana and Iowa polls uh, have, have tightened up. Collins got close, I know, a month ago. Now she's falling, she's calling back by in that Tillis race. They've really got to win that that Tillis race. Um, you know, they've got to probably have to win them all. Uh, but considering uh, that they're 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 well behind in in Arizona, uh, though that's that is tightened up a little bit. And, and even Colorado, I think uh, you know, the other one that is uh, got the uh, the GOP Senate uh, campaign committee worried uh, with Cory Gardner in Colorado. I think those two are the, the the hardest ones for them to win in the in the short term, or at least at least now. But yeah, it's, it, it's a coin flip. It is a coin flip for, uh, for, for control of the Senate. And we'll touch on that and maybe the House races in, uh, in the next edition of uh, Housing Developments. And for now, though, I'd like to say to our audience, what's most important is that you all uh, register to vote. Uh, and remember um, that every vote counts in an election that's going to be this close uh, for the presidency, as well as in many, many races. Uh, not only at the federal level, but at the state and local levels as well. Uh, your votes count. Uh, we will do our best to make sure that you're informed on the, the issues uh, that affect your business. And of course, the other issues that you care about, educate yourselves, your families, uh, and let's make sure that the democracy that our forefathers put into place uh, works as effectively as possible. Here, here. So for now, this is Jerry Howard saying thanks for listening. And this is Jim Tobin, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.